Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Amanda Bible Williams. And I'm your other host, Rachel Myers. And today we are joined by Lydia Brownback. Lydia is joining us for our second episode in the two-week Esther series. So she is going to help us pick up where we left off with Vivian last week. It was kind of a cliffhanger. We're excited to jump back in now with Lydia. Lydia is a author of lots of books, including a Bible study series with Crossway called Flourish. She actually released a book in that series about the book of Esther. So go check her out in our podcast show notes. Here's something that you need to know. Before we go into this episode, I want you to stick around to the end. And it is not for an ad and it is not for an ask. It is something really cool that Amanda and I got special permission to exclusively share with you, our listeners. So stick around to the end of this episode and we're going to give you something super fun. So hang around Until then, let's get back to Esther. We're going to pick back up in chapter six. Let's get right to it with Lydia. So Lydia, we ended last week with a cliffhanger with Vivian. We ended our conversation, our podcast episode, talking about Esther chapter five. And it was this big moment where Esther enters the throne room and the scepter is extended to her and she is safe but she has a lot of work to do, a lot Mm -hmm. yet to be done before God's people are safe. And so that's kind of where we left off last week. And Lydia, we are so happy that you are joining us for this week's episode because Esther is not an unfamiliar story to you. No, I love this story. And this is a wonderful time to be brought into the conversation in the middle of this drama. You're right about Esther. I mean, she's she's in the thick of it. Yeah. And what's so amazing is, I mean, we can't help but hold our breath as we see what's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to be so amazed by is how powerfully God is at work behind the scenes, right? It's been so fun to spend those first five chapters last week teeing up all of the ways that God is at work, but we can't quite tell how or why or what he's doing. But this week gets to be this payoff, this kind of repeated payoff of all of these things that we can't quite figure out what he's doing, but we're going to get to see a lot of that in the following chapters. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we certainly are. And it's going to start unfolding really quickly. Yes. I mean, even as we ended chapter five, Esther, you know, the king said, what do you want up to half my kingdom? And she said, I would like to host a banquet. I would like you to be there and Haman. And Haman goes home and he tells his family, like, I'm rich. I have a bunch of sons. Not only that, but Esther's invited me to a party. And his wife's like, yeah, you are. You're amazing. In fact, (laughs) you should build some gallows for that Mordecai. Like, that's where we leave them. Yeah. Yeah. He thinks he's the man. He thinks he's in. Right. And so, yeah, this is where things start to subtly, slowly turn around and then they rapidly go. Right. So, right. Mm-hmm. And I want to, can we talk for just a second about when Esther gets the king's ear? It doesn't matter how many times I read this story. And maybe there's, maybe there's some lack of understanding, like something that I'm missing here. But every time I read this story and she gets the king's ear, it's like, what do you want? I'll give you up to half my kingdom. I want to have dinner with you, (laughs) you know? And then I'm like, okay. And then she does it again at Mm -hmm. the banquet. You know, we'll see. She's like, I want to have another banquet. And we're like, I'm just like, when are you going to get there? Hurry. This feels urgent. Is there, why? Some 
Help me. Lydia, help me. <laughs> you know, this is a great question. And I think we're not told why, but yeah. it seems to me that there's some womanly wisdom coming out okay. here. She's reading the room yeah. and probably intriguing the king and also preparing him to hear who mm-hmm. she is. He has no clue what's coming here. And if right. she were to just blurt this out, he might be so not just shocked, but I mean, almost humiliated that he didn't know and feel a little just embarrassed. And that could turn things against her. So I think she's reading the room um, yeah, and knowing the Haman and just wanting to set him up just right too yeah. uh, for the result to happen. And we see these other places in scripture, like with Abigail on the story of of her husband, yes. Nabal and David and how you know, she subtly, slowly, but surely moved things around for the good of a lot of people. And she didn't just rush in like a bulldozer. So I do think we're not told exactly why, but it makes sense that this was her just exercising some of that good old fashioned woman's intuition. Okay. I do feel much better about that because, you know, as a reader, or it feels like, you know, we've talked about last week, it feels like we're sitting in the audience of this really dramatic play and you're like, but this is your chance. And that does make a lot more sense. And what it, there's something that you said that is really interesting. I haven't thought about would the banquet scenario have been more private, less yes. public? Than, okay. See, I had never thought about that. Okay. Um, yeah. And also she's asked that. people to fast and we're uh-huh. not told that there's prayer going on, but I think we can, you know, we don't know. But anyway, people are fasting and very likely what's the point of fasting is to humble yourselves and seek help. Yeah. Um, yeah. Divine aid. So this is going on. So she's probably allowing that to play out as well Buying behind the time. scenes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I feel better already. Even though time is for sure of the essence in this scenario, like the date has been set. Yeah. So then we get to chapter six, and we said last week, you know, and even today, that this whole book of Esther feels like a play. And there are some scenes that are, you know, tragedy, and some are triumph, and some are comedy. And chapter six feels like just the best kind of comedy to me. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're Heyman. Well, I mean, that's fair. (laughs) Uh, It's interesting to me, and as we'll talk about chapter six, it continues to be a little funny and fun to me to also remember the author of the book of Esther is likely Mordecai. And so I just kind of have to wonder, like, how did he enjoy the writing of chapter six? Is that your theory as well, Lydia? That Mordecai is the author? Uh Um, You know, I don't know. That's my yeah, answer. That's a good and, answer. And I think that's I think a good I just answer. Stick with that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I'm just curious. And we do what we super hold that loosely. Like even in the book, <laughs> we're like, we think maybe Mordecai. We're not sure. That, yeah. Lydia, would you like to walk us through what happens in chapter six? Wow. Okay. So I love how chapter six begins because mm-hmm. the king has insomnia. Yeah. And I mean, and what's so amazing is what we're going to see how God is working through this ordinary challenge that so many of us face all the time. So Mm -hmm. here's this king, he can't sleep, right? So what does he do when he lies awake? He does what so many of us do when we can't sleep. He decides to read Mm -hmm. and he asks for these books to be brought. And this is where this one is brought to him where then he sees, aha, Mordecai, he helped me out a while ago. Totally forgot about him. Right. Was he ever thanked for that? Was anything ever done to, you know, he saved my life. And what have we done? This is, we've got to do something about this. So then we see this has happened and he's discovering this. And so then he says, what can be done for this man? We're delayed. Let's do something. And right then there's Haman. (laughs) Haman comes Mm -hmm. on the scene. So he brings Haman in and says, hey, what should be done for a man whom the king wants to honor? 
Yeah. And, you know, and then there's Heyman, who's so full of himself that he thinks it's got to be me. I got invited to the feast and, you know, I'm the man and this is my day. And I'm going to just sort of say, this is what I would love to have. I want to be put on parade and Mm -hmm. held up high and acknowledged by everyone in the city that I'm that guy. So this is what he tells the king. This is what should be done for that man. And I absolutely love that. And so he says, have them bring a royal garment that the king himself has worn and a horse the king himself has ridden, which is a royal crown on its head and put the garment and the horse under the charge of one of the king's most noble officials. And then he wants to be paraded through the city. Mm-hmm. And so the king tells Haman, this is where you're saying the humor comes in. Okay. Yes. So, you know, he tells him, you know, take a garment and a horse for Mordecai the Jew, go get him and do exactly what you have said. And do not leave out anything you have you have suggested, suggested. Yeah. <laughs> so you know you want to talk about humiliation yes. and like but he has no choice he's got to do it and can you imagine the bitter gall he's swallowing as he's doing uh. this so he does this of course he has no choice and he parades mordecai and calling out this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor and and haman is the one who has to announce it to the whole city yes so, so then after that Mordecai goes back to where he's been hanging out at the king's gate and Haman goes home, right? So, and he covers his head. He's so ashamed. And so Mm -hmm. he goes to his wife and, you know, it tells them what happened. And basically his wife says something very interesting. And she says, since Mordecai is Jewish and you have begun to fall before him, in other words, under him, he's being risen ahead of you. You will not overcome him because your downfall is certain. And Which is such it, a different thing than she said yeah, a chapter she, ago where she was yeah. like, oh, why don't you go build some gallows? Yeah, right. she turned really quickly. Her, her tune changed. <laughs> yeah. She did. And again, yeah. maybe more women's intuition. Who knows here? But what's really interesting is we see three different times in this chapter in verse 10, verse 12, and verse 14 that notice how Haman, like the action speeds up. He's told to hurry. In verse 10, the king told Haman, hurry and do just as you proposed. And in verse 12, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried off for home. And while they were still speaking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and rushed Haman to the banquet, Esther prepared. So see, notice how like what this indicates to us is that that the action is being taken out of Haman's control. Oh, yeah. And in reality, it never was, but he thought he was totally in control. And now yeah. he's, we're being made to see, oh, he never was at all. It illustrates for us what we already know to be true. Yeah. He's just at the mercy. Yeah. yeah he is. He's totally at the mercy. So what starts with this bout of insomnia, which I absolutely love because— I'm someone who struggles with that. I don't know about you two, but you know, so many of us do. And you think about how God uses everything to further yes. his purposes. And I can't help but think of Proverbs 21.1 here, where the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wills. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, just thinking about how he's using this man's wakefulness at night to go get out this book, to go read this thing. I mean, that's what God does in all of our lives all the time. And just like these people, they're not aware that God's doing it, but God is always doing that even when yeah, people right. aren't acknowledging him. You know, that's what's amazing. Amen. Yeah. 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 And that's what I love about the book of Esther. It's the one book in the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned. Yeah. Um, but we can't, I mean, we're how many minutes into this episode and we can't stop talking about what God is doing. Yeah. I mean, he's so clearly to us, you know, easy for me to say, right? But in the details of the story, yeah. just the insomnia, the like, 
I'm going to choose to read from the book that I happened to write the thing in about Mordecai. And then in the timing of this chapter is so interesting because you also get a lot of the just as, so like in verse four, now Haman was just entering the outer court, you know, right after the king says, who's in the court? And that's right when Haman was walking in. And then, you know, and when she, in verse 14, while they were still speaking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and rushed Haman off to the banquet. And then, and then later we will see, you know, that the king comes into the room just as Haman is bowing to Esther. To Esther, yeah. and it looks like super inappropriate. And then right before he can open his mouth, you know, they cover his head. Like, there's just a lot of everything is happening just so. Like, yeah. it is remarkable. Um, I don't know why I needed to make sound effects right then, but it felt right. You and can so make sound effects. I did. Yeah. You know, I think it's right. You know, I mean, totally. <laughs> I mean, we're trying to express the fact that God is the star of this book, even though his name isn't mentioned. That's right. right. And, yeah. and all you just said, Who's doing the action? It's God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's incredible. And then that's where we, part of what gets us excited is to say, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's advancing his purposes in this book for the salvation of all his people for all time, redemptive history, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we call it. And he's doing that. And yet this is the same way on a micro level that he does in our own lives every day too. So it's yeah. just endlessly fascinating. It's really well put. I love that. We get a little part of that in the supplemental reading for this day is from Isaiah 52, verses 9 and 10 say, For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has displayed his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And so that is true. And yet the way that the Lord brings about the salvation and redemption of his people, it's both very obvious and also very detailed and like behind the scenes. Like it's it's just yeah. so beyond what we're used to trying to comprehend. You know, like it's so we think of things on different levels and it's like, oh, but God works on all the levels all the time. Yeah. And, you know, it just doesn't compute in my brain. <laughs> no, but it's way. comforting, isn't it? It's so yes, comforting it to know. And it's what you just read here from Isaiah. It's comforting to know that we don't have to latch on to God and grasp onto him just to guarantee that we're going to be okay. And isn't they say, you know, we think about what is faith. We tend to think it's, it is grabbing onto God. But remember the children's game where we used to fall back and trust someone would catch us. It was sort of, you're supposed to be yep. building trust. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, that's real trust because there's nothing we can do. We're completely out of control. And I think faith in the Lord is much more about that than about latching on. Because if we're latching on and seeking to go forward and grab him, it's like we still think it's partly up to us. Right. We're making a backup plan. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> Whereas in a trust fall, there's no backup plan. Yeah. Or we think we yeah. think it's kind of up to us too. We think, you know, well, God helps those who help themselves. And we know that's just not biblical, right? right? So God is always helping his people, whether they're looking for it or not. And that's the comfort. We don't have to, I think we know women who might get up in the morning and if they, young moms who can't meet with the Lord or you oversleep and can't have your devotions that day. And you think, oh, I'm going to be off course all day spiritually. And that's just so not true because we're held by Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's anyway, I'm I'm going off on a big tangent, but I love it. I love your tangent. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) 
So we get to chapter seven. And the lighthearted day title, Haman is Executed. Yeah, it's not the best. <laughs> no. Uh, it's very beautifully done, though. Yeah, in the book, sure. It's very sure. beautiful. A nice typeface. But we get to chapter seven, and this is kind of the moment. We, we were talking about that Esther draws out this ask, and this is the moment where the king Ahasuerus says, Esther, you know, what is it that you want? And she finally, she finally makes her ask. And she says, I ask that you spare my life and spare the life of my people. And she says, and she uses the language that we see earlier in the book that we've been sold to destruction, death, and annihilation. Mm-hmm. And the king's just like, wait, wait, who? What? Like, who are your people? Like, what's happening? Who would do this? Who is this? And who would devise such a scheme? And she says, the adversary and enemy is the evil Haman. And there, if just is the three of them. Is this evil Haman? Is, oh, this evil Haman. <laughs> this one right here. Yeah. And Amanda, what happens next? Oh, well. Or Haman, Lydia, what happens Haman next? is terrified. Yeah. I see that Rachel and I often put exclamation points in our margins at the same places. This yeah. was the one we very often do. But I have an, one of my margin exclamation points. Because what happens is... The Haman is terrified. The king rises in anger, and Haman begins to beg Esther for his life. Because, listen to this, because he realized the king was planning something terrible for him. So the king rushes out in his anger, and Haman begins to beg Esther for his life. And just as, this is verse 8 in chapter 7, just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, would he actually violate the queen while I am in the house? As soon as the statement left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. This is, Lydia, we talked last week a little bit about all the reversals in Esther, which I know that even in your book, in your Bible study, you've done such a beautiful job of pointing out, but we're getting all the little payoffs Mm -hmm. now, like, you know, where Haman was so upset that Mordecai wouldn't bow to him, but we see him bowing now to Esther and begging for his life. And of course, the gallows are awaiting him. Uh, Because one of the king's eunuchs, you know, there happens to be a 75-foot gallow outside, gallows outside. Over at Haman's house. That, that oh. Haman made for Mordecai. Oh, my gosh. Let's and there are that. so many nuances here about what's yes. going on. So Talk to so us, if, yes. If you look at what Queen Esther says to the king, notice how she appeals to his self-interest. Uh-huh. And she says yeah. in here, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if the king is pleased to spare my life and spare my people— And then she says, we've been sold to destruction, death, and annihilation. And then she goes on to say, if it were merely about us being slaves, I would keep silent and I wouldn't bother you because it wouldn't be worth your time. So she's really, she's really sort of, you know, building up his ego here. And then Haman, what the terror he feels because he's in this no-win situation. The protocol in that culture was right because I mean the protocol was no one was allowed to be alone with a concubine or a queen that belonged to a king. Except the king. So when the king left the room, Haman should have walked out too and not have been alone there with Esther. Mm -hmm. So instead, as he's begging for his life, he like, is probably like pawing all over her. And that's when the king walks back in and sees, oh, now he's going to continue to humiliate me. And, And he's feeling humiliated because, and it's not so much because he cares about the Jews, it's because he felt like someone pulled something over on him. Right. And that Haman A big thing was him. happening that he didn't know about. Yes. So, and that's why Esther is so astute to build up his ego. You're because right. Because that's what's going to win his, that's where she's going to win him. And then you mm-hmm. have this, the eunuch coming in and saying, there's the gallows over there. Um, 
And what does this say? And I love what he says here. He says, there's a gallows 75 feet tall at Haman's house that he made for Mordecai who gave the report that saved the king. So what yep. that tells us there is that this eunuch was on the side of Mordecai. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because he's pointing out, remember him, he's the good guy. That's right. So, he's making so, sure that that dot gets connected. Yeah. So nobody yeah. likes Haman. I mean, you know, he's just not a nice person. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's about to get his comeuppance here. So it's an, it's And it's amazing. such a quick comeuppance because there's just two sentences. The king said, hang him on it. And then they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. The king's anger subsided. Is that true? And don't you love verse 10 here? That's the one you just read. Um, they hanged Haman on the gallows to prepare for Mordecai. Then the king's anger subsided. And I think that's one of the most powerful verses in the whole book. Don't you? Because mm-hmm. what does that point to? Doesn't it point us to the Lord Jesus and how when he was hanged on the cross, the wrath mm-hmm. of God was satisfied Oh wow, yeah, for our sin. And so it almost is a foreshadowing, that yeah. one verse right there of something so much greater that the author of this story could not have even known. Is mm-hmm. that so cool that God was even and working in that detail? That detail is so similar and so opposite because, you know, in this story, the enemy of the Jews is what Haman is known as, is the one who's hanged. And in Christ, it is the innocent one, right? Yes, yes. And with the, over his head, the king of the Jews, you know, yes. is what it says. Yes. There are some interesting ties there. Yeah, it's so cool. It'd be so fun to sit and do a whole episode on just those connections and how they point to it. Yeah, it would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Take us to day 10. What's I happening? I mean, it just, the action just keeps going. Yeah. The back half of Esther, is there two things happening? Because one, it's, you know, the climax of the story and the, the satisfaction of a lot of the reversals, but there's also some really difficult stuff at play. It's not a sunshiny day necessarily. In many ways it is, but um, there's a lot of blood um, in the second half of the book of Esther. There's a lot of blood. And I think some of the, you know, the lifetime movie qualities kind of go away and we're hitting some of the more theologically complex parts of it. Yeah. And, you know, we need to stick with the story though, because it all ties together and it's where where the drama has been leading us all this Mm -hmm. time is to this place here where we're getting now beginning in this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. So the next step is because this edict still exists. Mm-hmm. That the Jews are to be, what are the annihilate or destroy, uh, kill, destroy, and annihilate that, and um, that they're to be wiped out. And so now, phase two, mm-hmm. you know, as Esther goes to the king again, she this is chapter eight, verse three. She falls at his feet, weeps, begs him to revoke the evil of Haman. Is it the Agagite? Yes, and yeah, which is significant as well in ways that I'm not even going to pretend to be able to explain. But our team tells us that's significant. Yes. (laughs) And we believe in that. We trust Mm -hmm. them. Um, His plot that he had devised against the Jews, the king extends the golden scepter to her again. So she gets up. And this time, she again says, if it pleases the king and I have found favor with him, if the matter seems right to the king and I am pleasing in his eyes, let a royal edict be written. And so there has to be another edict written so that the Jews can defend themselves against their aggressors mm-hmm. because the first edict cannot be revoked. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 So we have to do another irrevocable edict. And what just floors me about this King who has so much power, but seems to just wield it just at a whim. It's crazy to me. He gives her another blank check essentially. Yeah. yeah. Well, here you go. Just write it. <laughs> Here's my signet ring. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You and Mordecai, whatever you think needs to 
needs to be done. And so he says to Esther and to Mordecai that just write in the king's name whatever pleases you concerning the Jews and seal it with the royal signet ring and it won't be able to be revoked. Yeah. It's a lot of power. And in that same breath, he gives Esther Haman's house. Oh, by the way. And you can have this and we'll put Mordecai over it. Just like the reversals just are really starting to roll in right Yeah, they're starting to happen. I think he's starting to trust Mordecai, the king. Um, after so. the betrayal yeah. of Haman, it probably took a little while. Yeah. And then, you know, then he sees here, here's this guy. I can trust him. He is very, very drawn to his queen. It's interesting here in this chapter, though, how her approach to the king is very different from earlier. Rather than going in and seductively preparing a feast, mm-hmm. she weeps at his feet. And I think a lot of that is that she knew that the edict could not be revoked. Yeah. Yeah. So I do love the idea of saying, okay, so again, the ego of the king um, mm-hmm. Let's get around this here. I can't revoke. And you know what, though? He could have decided to, he's the king. He could have said, okay, I'm going to revoke my edict, but his pride is too big. Yeah. So instead he comes up with, well, let's just write a new one that will override that one or kind of go along with it. And so both can happen at the same time. You can tell here that he's feeling a little put out. He's like, I've done so much for you already. And you see this when, after she does her plea, And then he says, look, I've given Haman's estate to Esther and he was hanged on the gallows because he attacked the Jews. And, you know, write in the king's name, whatever pleases you concerning the Jews and seal it with the royal signet. And if we think back to the last chapter, that's not why the king hanged him. He's trying to appeal to Esther here and say, oh, you know, I did this for you and your people. It's like, no, he didn't. He did it because his pride was damaged. And because he thought him and was, you know, I mean, so the king is still all about himself, you know, and Esther knows that. And I think that's part of the weeping here going on, too. And so she's using everything in her feminine arsenal to get this guy to save her people. And she's a smart woman and she's grown up fast. Um, But in this case, it's about a lot of tears and a lot of things. So anyway. And it's interesting, in this chapter, we get one of the eight occurrences in the book of Esther of the word favor, which is absolutely a theme in this book. And we really didn't talk about it much last week. But Lydia, I know that you're familiar with this, and it's use in the book of Esther. It's interesting because favor, as I understand it, is sort of the secular word for the Hebrew word hesed. And hesed is just... um, It's one of those words that can't be defined, like there's not an actual one-to-one. Steadfast love, steadfast covenant loyalty. What would you say is is a good definition for hesed? Boy, it's all those. It's steadfast love, mercy. Um, Yeah. It kind of connotes all those different things. And where someone's going to look kindly on you and give them the best of what they have to give just because they want to do that. Yeah. yeah. And so like early in the book, like first instance of this word, it's, you know, Esther gets the favor, the secular word, the favor of, you know, I think it's one of the eunuchs, like the people that are in charge of the harem because she is beautiful. Um, good to look at, I think, is one of the ways that scripture describes her. But it's just interesting to see, you know, especially in a book, you know, in which God's name is not mentioned, to see this like has said sort of on her life. And as we're talking about, you know, Esther appealing to the king, she's looking for, and she'll say often, you know, if I found favor in your eyes, Mm -hmm. or if I could have your favor. It was interesting to me as I studied the book of Esther, you know, there's such a beautifully direct correlation, you know, on the human level, she's trying to get the favor of the king. Whereas I sit as an individual human, I sit in a place of already having the hesed. Yes, beautifully of the king. said. 
Yeah. Right? It doesn't have anything to do with what I look like. We know scripture tells us that God looks on the heart, you know? Right. And we have his has said, not because we're beautiful, but because he's beautiful. His son is beautiful. And, and we get to reflect that. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. And Lydia, I'm sure you could tell us more about the concept of favor in Esther. But it's interesting to see that word used again here in chapter eight. She continues to appeal to the king's favor. Yes, she does. Yeah. And I'm absolutely loving what you're saying there about how that points to the fact that our thanksgiving and gratitude, that we do not have to do that. And whether we're beautiful or not, right. we don't have to yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. Wow. It's because that, he's beautiful. <laughs> that was a very powerful comment about this. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, that's beautiful. And it ties to what you just said, Lydia, that she is appealing to the king's ego because if she's saying, I'm looking for your favor, so I'm not earned this king. If I get your favor, it's because of your kindness and because of, you know, what a big person you are. What a great guy (laughs) you are. Yeah, because of what a great guy you are. And so it really is. I mean, it feels like, I don't know if it's a reversal, but it's another kind of two sides of very different sides of one coin where you're seeing that he's not really capable of that kind of favor that you've just described. The steadfast covenant loyalty. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and in this case, it's being used to sort of manipulate or just, you know, to have him... Appeal to his pride. Yeah, have him hear her where it's something for us. And even just the threat on her life that comes from approaching him and even saying this, Mm -hmm. and then just to see that in the view of compare that, contrast that with the favor that, like you just said, that we've already been given, that the threat that was on our life was placed on to Jesus, you Mm -hmm. know, and that that sacrifice. And then you compare the kings. I mean, we don't even need to get started on that because (laughs) our king and this king, not the same. We want to take a minute to tell you about one of our podcast sponsors, Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people. Explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity. As a member, you'll get unlimited access to thousands of inspiring classes with hands-on projects and feedback from a community of creatives worldwide. So whether you're looking to explore something new or to deepen your understanding of a current skill set, Skillshare offers creative classes designed for real life and all the circumstances that come with it. Break up your routine with spontaneous acts of creativity. You'll be surprised what interests you and what you're capable of. Skillshare offers classes on everything from how to find your style to how to make the perfect grilled cheese. I am personally looking forward to Emily Henderson's class, Style Your Space, Creative Tips and Techniques for Interior Design. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash SheReadsTruth. And the first 1,000 people to use our link will get a free trial of Skillshare's premium membership. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash SheReadsTruth. Hey friends, Rachel here. I want to take a minute to tell you about apartment life. Did you know that 95% of people living in apartments aren't connected to a local church? Apartment life shows God's love to apartment residents in real, tangible ways, opening the door to connect them to the local church and ultimately to share the gospel with people who might never hear it from someone else. We just aren't meant to stay isolated, and Apartment Life does so much to bring people together. Apartment Life pairs hosts with apartment residents to host events, build community, and care for fellow residents in times of need. Even virtual events can make a huge difference to help people feel connected. 
Those experiences can open the door to meet people right where they are with the hope of the gospel. Apartment Life has connected more than 65,000 residents with a local church over the last 20 years, and they are making more connections every day. So if you're passionate about loving your neighbors and you love to throw a good virtual party, visit apartmentlife.org slash She Reads Truth to find out how you can become a host. Okay, let's get back to the show. All right, let's keep going. Keeping the narrative moving, they write the edict. Mordecai writes the edict. And Mm -hmm. in the same way that the first edict was distributed, this one also is distributed. But like we said, it's not to erase what has already been ruled. It is This one is the Jews can defend themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's basically saying, yeah, the edict, you know, the first one's in place on this particular day, the die has been cast, the lot has been cast, and the Jews are going to be annihilated. But now we have this new edict that says, no, the Jews can defend themselves. So you have these dueling edicts going on, and the Jews are rejoicing in their happy. So we begin to see glimmers of rejoicing already right here at the end of this chapter. So, you know, we know it's kind of going in that direction. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they still know there's still an appointed day for there to be an attempt at annihilation. But even this beginning of that reversal is... Like there was a celebration and a holiday. Yeah. yeah. They were, and, and like right after that, it says, and many of the ethnic groups of the land professed themselves to be Jews because the fear of the Jews had overcome them. Right. Another reversal happening. So yeah. instead uh-huh. of them, and, and if you think about it, I mean, they were kind of coexisting. The Jewish people were coexisting with the citizens of Persia. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm sure there was probably some tensions there, but for the most part, they got along. But once that first edict went out, I bet you those who did not like the Jews felt free to go mock yes. them and start hurting them. And now suddenly, oh, look what's happening. Others are saying, oh, no, no, I better get on their side because yeah. it yeah. seems to be going their way. That's and they, right. know, they have them. to know about Mordecai, right? They have to know their yeah. queen and Mordecai. Everyone knows now that yeah. the people in the top of the king's cabinet are Jews. So Right. You know, and that's never occurred to me. I wonder what that realization of that information that their queen was an ethnic Jew. Like, what does that say? Like, yeah. for the kingdom to realize that, like, oh, we didn't know we're that gonna, because she Jews kept too. it a secret. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just that even then that I can see, you know, Providence that like, because that kind of revelation was probably a noteworthy event, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, that that would be passed around Sure. And then, and then in chapter 9, verse 1, Lydia, what does it say? The king's command and law went into effect on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month Adar, on the day when the Jews' enemies had hoped to overpower them, just the opposite happened. There it is right there. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The Jews Isn't overpowered those who hated them. And it is, yes, it is beautiful. I mean, not not all, obviously the killing isn't all beautiful, but right, right. the fact that God came to their rescue in every mm-hmm. way uh, is absolutely amazing. So, and it's interesting. One of the things I think is so noteworthy here, it's a little thing, but we're told three times in this chapter yes. that they did not take plunder. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even though the edict had said they were allowed to go in and when you're defending yourself, you can take from them anything you want because they've been taken from you and they were going to do that. You can do that. But they refused and were told three times that they didn't do it. What's so cool about this, and we won't get into too much depth here because, you know, this is not a, a seminary class. But one of the things that's why this is so cool is that this is really going back to a story in their history yes. of 
we talked about the Agagites, which Haman was, and the people he was from were enemies of God's people that way back in the book of Exodus, there was an announcement that God was going to eventually do away with these enemies of God's people, of which Haman was a descendant. So, and then you have the first king of Israel, Saul, who was told to go kill these people, and he didn't do it. He didn't kill the king. He didn't kill the bad guys, but he did take the plunder. And at that time, God had said to him, do the opposite, leave the plunder and kill the king and kill the bad guys. So he failed. And what we're seeing here is the reversal of that. The reversal of old King Saul's failure is happening right here. They defended themselves and got rid of the bad guys and refused the plunder. So it's cool things like this that come out in this story that show that every book of the Bible is tied to every other book of the Bible. It's really cool. Uh, I'm so glad you took us on that journey. That is the coolest, just to see that the reversals aren't just happening within the book of Esther, Mm -hmm. but like you said, that they're tied all through scripture. Yeah. I think that's a thing that we learn as we begin to continue to read scripture over time is that a rabbit trail is rarely just a rabbit trail. (laughs) Like there's, (laughs) you know, you keep picking at something or you keep following it and you're like, wait, there's like, it just continues to reveal who God is, and just the the grandness of this redemption story that yeah. he's writing. And the numbers are harrowing. I mean, we get, you know, on mm-hmm. the first day, 500 men are killed. And then Esther says, could we have another day? And the king says, yes. And so 300 more are killed. And that's just in Susa. But in all the provinces, 75,000 men are killed. And it's sort of like a, like, you just kind of grip the table and you're like, whoa, like, that's a lot. But, you know, and I kind of dug into that even in in my study And one of the things that it just kind of helped me see was like, let this scale help you understand the extent of of the antagonism against the Mm -hmm. Jews and the extent of the celebration that came as they instituted Mm -hmm. Purim. Yeah. But it's a large number of people. I mean, it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a good point because it does show the extent of the antagonism against them. And that's been historically from the Garden of Eden, right? When, Mm -hmm. When the prophecy about the head being crushed the serpent's head being crushed and the heel being bitten. And you think Mm -hmm. this has gone on God's people, you know, from the Jewish people in the Old Testament, right? Even though it's carried through. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, there's just, God's people have always been persecuted. But here we're seeing a huge extent of it against the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, 75,000. I mean, we're out to hurt them. And that is a lot of people. It's a lot. lot. And I just love that you pointed out that repeated, like, but they did not take plunder. Mm -hmm. And in chapter 9, verse... Is it 22? It says, because during those days, the Jews gained relief from their enemies. And that's that phrase that the Jews gained relief is actually another one that's repeated. We see that Mm -hmm. again and again. It isn't just like this conquest. It is relief from the oppression that they're feeling. And it's interesting to see the Magnificat as some other related Mm -hmm. scripture for day 10, you know, where Mary, the mother of Jesus, says to Elizabeth, and she's giving praise, but she says, he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. And she goes on to say, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that give you chills? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it does. And that back in chapter 9 of Esther, right after where you stopped reading, Rachel, to continue on in verse 22, that was the month 
when their sorrow is turned into rejoicing and their mourning into a holiday. That's the gospel. Like that sentence, it mm-hmm. just, it is a gospel saturated sentence Mm -hmm. that our sorrow is turned into rejoicing and our mourning is turned into a holiday. That's what I love. I mean, the story of Esther is so captivating on its own, but then when I look at it through the lens of Jesus, it is breathtaking. You know, it just really, it just exponentially kind of ramps it all up and it you can feel because you can feel their relief yeah in this yeah and yeah. Oh, yeah. just as we can feel you know when I'm like Esther just ask him already you know you don't have much time <laughs> um, just as you can feel like the anxiety then you can also feel the relief and then when you lay that kind of as a template over our experience mm-hmm. um as sinners and as those saved by Christ. And just a couple of weeks ago, we wrapped up a study about spiritual disciplines, faith and practice. Mm-hmm. And in that, you know, so that's kind of fresh in my mind as we're reading the book of Esther. We talked last week about the lament that Mm -hmm. the Jews exercised when the first edict was passed out. But here we're going to get these spiritual disciplines of celebration and Mm -hmm. remembrance. Um, And so it's sweet to as we flow out of this day or two days of victory and relief that comes to the Jews that they don't want to forget. Yeah, God's name isn't mentioned, but they don't want to forget what God has done for them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And just to interject, if you have an Esther study book, there is an extra on page 50 that is really beautiful. And it really does flow beautifully out of the faith and practice study, but it's called Spiritual Rhythms in the Book of Esther. And it just shows the rhythms that we can see God's people practicing, even in this small Old Testament book, rhythms that remind them of God's presence and His provision in the past and His, you know, point to his future work, what he'll do for them, but it covers lament. We see fasting, rest, celebration, and remembrance. So all mm-hmm. those things that you just said and a couple others. I love that you did this here. It's so helpful that how you laid this out and how it begins with lament and then mm-hmm. it ends with the remembrance because in between were all the things that led from, that changed their circumstances. So all of them are good, right? It's just the rhythms. So lament takes a place in all of our lives at different mm-hmm. points. And there's a place for lament. There's a place for fasting. Um, we have to rest. But then just as important is celebration yes. and remembering, yeah. right? And remembering. And, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So Lydia, talk to us about Purim. They're going to set this up, and it's for the purpose of remembering and celebrating. Yeah. And it's kind of complicated. The way the book ends, you're kind of like, huh? So there's yeah. <laughs> all this sort of like logistics of setting up the holiday mm-hmm. and how— And the kind of how, explaining like, well, here's why. Sometimes it's two days. Sometimes it's one. <laughs> yeah, because out in the provinces outlying, they had one less day of fighting. and Because they the didn't city, get the message that they could fight for two days. Yes. The Jews in the city battled the enemies— for two days. And the ones out in the outlying provinces only for one day. So that's why the feast is stretched out over two days. So because of that. And so it was just, it was about, there were people still pouring into the city trying to carry out this battle a little bit longer. And it just went on a little bit longer in the city. So the feast got set up. So the last part of Esther, the author spends a lot of time setting up this feast and all the things around it and how it was meant to be this day of celebrating. Another big feature there was that you were supposed to give gifts and to help the poor and to give gifts. And that's still practiced today. I love Um, that part. It feels kind of Christmassy, but 
even like it just feels like this other act of provision that even the poor could celebrate with feasting because of the gift giving. Because mm-hmm. of the gift giving. And you think it's fun to see about celebrations today when Jewish people gather to celebrate this feast, they read the story and children are given rattles to shake every time the name of Haman is mentioned. Yes. And so mm-hmm. it's really, really, they enjoy doing that. Very much. It'd be fun to attend one of those, wouldn't it? No, mm-hmm. And we've also like, you know, in reading about like, deep diving into Purim a little bit, like some Jewish families will make a cookie called a Haman's hat. And so they eat the cookie or some kind of like a baked yeah. good no, I think called right. Haman's hat. Yeah. I, I really like this rattle idea though. I kind of want that for the next time I read it. Yeah. Like just shake the rattle because you're getting frustrated yeah. at him. You're like, how dare you? I'm going to shake the Every rattle. Every time, right? Yeah. yeah. I need some kind of noisemaker for the king too though, because he's not my favorite. Yeah. But, they, but it's called Purim because P-U-R, pure or pur, is the, the, lot, the, the lot. It's the word used cast. to the cast the lots. And yes. a lot was cast to decide on that first day, the, to decide on the day that mm-hmm. the Jews would be annihilated. Yeah. And it's just this beautiful, again, God's name is not mentioned, but it's this beautiful, like we're going to use the word pur to acknowledge the casting of the lot and to celebrate that even the casting of the lot is in the hands of God. And that's in Proverbs, right? It says the lot is cast, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So you want to talk about that being the perfect proverb for this. So the lot was cast and it was the death knell of God's Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And yet the decision of what actually happened with that was from the Lord. So, So they say the book of Esther was written to kind of explain the beginning of this feast, but it does so much more than that. It does so much more. Yeah. I mean, it shows us the thread of redemptive history, but overarchingly, it shows us the power of God to protect his people and deliver his people, even when they're not actively seeking and looking and acknowledging him in the ways that we think that believers should. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it just is such a story of the hesed, the grace and mercy and the the kindness of God and the power of God. It's just Mm -hmm. so comforting and makes you want to celebrate. And it's just beautiful to know that whether we acknowledge his name or not, like Mordecai said in chapter four to Esther, you know, like whether you help or not, like deliverance will come from someplace else, you know, and that's us. Like whether we declare and name the name of the Lord or not, his name will be glorified and his hand is on our story. Whether we say Mm -hmm. his name or not, it's evident that his hand is on us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so beautifully said. And I think too, what we can come away from this is, is that Esther is not the hero of the story. Mordecai is not the hero of the story. Mm -mm. God is the hero of the story. And isn't that so evident? Yeah. I mean, just even in our discussion today, and for those who meditate on the book, you've meditated on it. We've meditated on it. That's the takeaway. Mm-hmm. So, yes. yeah. And the hero of our stories. It's just, yeah. it's so freeing, you know, to know that we're invited to walk in obedience and that the Lord is at work. Yeah. Very much. I love, love, I'm just going to read this as we kind of come to the close of, of talking about this book that we all three love so much. Lydia, it is a delight to talk to you about scripture. And even though we had not met before now, and even though we are meeting over Zoom, um, which is not ideal, but I am thankful for it. I just like to watch you light up when you talk about God's Word. I Same just here. Like, you too. Yes. We've got, to, we've got to do this in person sometime. Yes. I'd love it. But in day 11, we also read from Ephesians 1. And I just want to read some of this over us because this is 
so much of this is what we are talking about. Verse 9, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. In verse 11, In Him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of His will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to His glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I mean, this, that is our King, the one who makes known to us this mystery of his will. Works out everything Jesus. in agreement with the purpose of his will. Yeah. Brings Amanda, everything that's a perfect, together in Christ. Perfect passage to end. Well, on. listen, our team knew exactly what they were doing. They put that there in our last reading day. It just is I just I love, I love, love, love. It feels like a direct tie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's the beauty of just putting scripture side by side. Mm-hmm. We're done with the book of Esther. That was so fast. I'm sad and grateful. I know. I'm both. <laughs> what, are you, yeah. what are you all doing next? So after we Esther? are next Monday, we are going to begin our Lent series. And wow. so next Monday, we will open the book of Joshua uh, oh, with, with the community. And then we'll do that for four weeks. And then we're going to open the book of Mark to walk us into Holy Week for Lent. Nice. Uh, so we're oh. excited to be in those books. I'm sure those are books that are well familiar to you, Lydia. Well, I am so glad to have discovered you and to, <laughs> I, you know, I can't wait to tell people about your books and what you're doing. You know, and it's That's just sweet. They're beautiful, they're solid. The way the scriptures are tied together, they all fit and they all do this thread of biblical, the redemptive history. The way you've chosen them to go together, they dovetail the way they're Thank supposed you. to. It's just Thank beautifully you. done. Well, Lydia, we hope you'll come back and chat about scripture with us another time. Now, we do have time today to do something that we do on the She Reads Truth podcast when there's time at the end of an episode. As you know, that for an hour on the She Reads Truth podcast, we open our Bibles and we talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth that we find there. But at the end, if there's time, we get to ask our guest to look up and around and tell us somewhere in your life where you're seeing beauty, goodness, and or truth that points you to Jesus. I am seeing God's beauty, goodness, and truth in a little puppy that was in my home for a very short amount of time. And I thought he was going to be here for years, and it turned out to be just five days. It just He didn't tie in with a busy writer's life. And okay, he has found fair. a new home, but it was a very painful discovery to realize that he mm. uh, couldn't be here with me after waiting for nine months for his arrival. So it really was the path of wisdom to find another home. And so when I put it out there that I needed a new home and I prayed for help, a family came along within 24 hours and they wanted my puppy so much that they flew the next day to my state and rented a car to drive him back to their state. I'm in New York. They're in North Carolina. Wow. And they were going to love this dog so much. And I think I was feeling really humiliated and uh, just a little bit like a failure. And I prayed for help about that. And the Lord sent friends to encourage, and He sent peace and Ephesians, a verse in Ephesians about how making the best use of the time, and for me, this was the right decision. And I've been really feeling blue about it, and then I said, Lord, am I trusting you? Am I looking to you? Or am I just assuming that I'll just kind of drift and get past this? And 
As soon as I sat down and said, I want to trust that you really care about helping me with something like this. And within yeah. an hour, it's amazing how he'd sent the comfort of friends, the comfort of just two or three things lined up in an hour that let me know that, yes, I care about the little details, the little decisions and the big ones and mm-hmm. the things that touch your heart. And I am right there to help. And I love to honor those who choose to trust me by showing tangible answers to prayer. Lydia, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. It's very new. I want a puppy. (laughs) No, you don't don't, want a puppy. I don't want a puppy. I want a puppy for five days. The moral of the story is that puppies are also very hard work. They're so hard. I mean, until you have, I mean, I thought, I knew it would be work. But yeah. I didn't know that the biggest accomplishment of a day would be taking a shower. You know, I mean, yeah. like, that's it. I, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, Lydia, thank you again for joining us. And friends listening, come back next Monday. We're kicking off our Lent series with Christine Kane, and we're going to be talking about the book of Joshua. But until next week, Lydia, what do we say? Keep opening your Bibles. Okay, friends, we have something really exciting to share with you. We mentioned in the intro of this episode that it was going to be worth it, and we hope that after we tell you what it is, you will feel the same. Amanda, do you want to tell them what it is? Well, it's an exclusive listen to a brand new song written by none other than our very own Rachel Myers with Ellie Holcomb and Ruth Cho Simons. So Rachel and I were able to be part of a songwriting project called Faithful. It's a collaboration with Compassion International and David C. Cook and Integrity Music. And they just gathered songwriters and authors and speakers and just women who love God's word together. This was in January before the pandemic. You remember, Rachel? January we weren't even 2020. Masks. We were together in a room without masks. I didn't even own a mask. I didn't even think masks that feels- were going to be part of my wardrobe, but it now they feels are. so dangerous to not own a mask so now. Yeah. But we gathered together and they led us in some really beautiful just like reflection and writing exercises. And then... And then they invited people who had no experience writing music to write songs. They broke us into groups. Well, me and Rachel and Smith, yeah. well, a yeah. lot of these people have a lot of experience writing songs. So they paired people <laughs> who have no experience with women who do have lots of songwriting experience. And so um, this particular song that we're going to get to share with you right now is one that I was paired with Ruth Jo Simons and Ellie Holcomb, and we opened our Bibles to the book of Esther and studied that book together. And from our study came the lyrics to a song. And the way that that workshop worked back in January is that we would would huddle into rooms, write songs in the afternoon, and then in the evening, sometimes our families would come if they could, but we would all gather at the fireside room at the art house in Nashville, and we it was like a recital. We would get to perform <laughs> our songs and kind of release them, these hours-old songs. Yeah. And, so, and they let us sing. And they let <laughs> us sing along, so I hope you can't hear my voice. <laughs> but we, so we asked permission, you know, because this song that we wrote is obviously very related to the book of Esther, and so we wanted to get to share it with you. But instead of giving you the studio-recorded, polished version of the song, which we'll release in May, we want you guys to hear the recording from that night, from the first time the song was sung in full, first time it was performed. Ellie Holcomb is obviously going to lead the way on this song. Um, The audio is not studio level, so you're going to get to enter into this recital room with us right now. Yeah, but there's something so special 
about this recording. And it's not just because when I listen to it, I can go back to that place and I can remember sitting there and hearing this song for the first time that my friends had worked on and had written. But I think there's kind of a raw quality, not just to the audio, but just emotionally, like entering into the story of the book of Esther and just being brought to like worship and laughter. You'll hear Ellie laugh at just the audacity of like the truth of the song. And it's just just to hear those of us in the room respond. It just is a really special moment. And I'm really thankful to Andy Osenga and Keely Scott, the team at Integrity and everyone who worked on the project for just their open-handedness with this. That's been the feel of the project from the beginning. It's felt very collaborative. Everyone just coming together with the sole purpose of just delighting in God's Word, and that's what we do here. So, And using the arts to celebrate the faithfulness of God, yeah, bringing yeah. what we have to the table and offering it up. And so you'll get to hear the entire record on May 1st. In addition to that, we, Amanda and I, collaborated with some other authors, Amy Grant, Lisa Harper, lots of other, Trillia Newbell, and we contributed to a book by the same name, The Faithful. Mm-hmm. And so that'll all release in May, along with a live stream event where we'll get to hopefully perform all of this in a live stream so, so you fun. can see that. But until then, we want you to enjoy the audio of the first time the song Rise Up was performed. Take it away, Allie Holcomb. <laughs> I'd just like to say before we start this that uh, there's a melody in here that I might have stolen from Amy and Sandra's song last time. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I'm not sure, um, but I really loved it last in the name time. Of- and then I was like, this is like a group project, and maybe we could have the same melody, like, come on two and that'll be cool, like the thread throughout the project, so thanks for the inspo. <laughs> we have a spoken word piece at the beginning, so here we go. She was a nobody who God made somebody to speak on behalf of everybody. Because one day his body would be broken for us. If she was silent, deliverance would rise from somewhere else. But because she wasn't silent, God spared and saved the lives of many. Where do we need to be giving our surrendered yes? To speak on behalf of those who have been oppressed. We will not be silent. It's the bells that keep on ringing. 
he had no beauty, he was the favor of the king. <laughs> Tell me again about the way he loved the lonely, healed the sick and fed the hungry, all his life and offering. Like heaven, oh, 